Grumpy Old Geeks. A weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Good afternoon, Brian. How are you today? I am doing okay, Jason. Uh, we're a little bit late on recording because I have clients that don't know anything. Uh, yes. Well, this is nothing new. It's amazing <laughs> that we're ever on time then. I know. It really is. Sometimes you just got to kind of put your foot down and say, all right, that's it. I'm not available for the next two hours. Indeed. So a um, little follow-up. I want to jump yes. right into this. iTunes was updated this week. I noticed they're up to 12.2.1 to fix a bunch of the Apple Music issues. Uh, any help on your side? Because you said you couldn't get it to work at all last time. Yeah, I, I uh, was unable to basically use any of the features of Apple Music other than streaming. Um, I wasn't able to save to my music. I was not able to download for play later. Uh, and it uh, did not work at all on my desktop. Uh, the update actually fixed my iOS devices. So now on my phone and my iPad, they are syncing with each other and uh, I can I can add song things to my music. I can download for play. I've actually even noticed that it functions much better uh, than Spotify in terms of, uh, remember my stories about like, I, if I just want to walk down to the street, that's a, you know, it's a 10 minute walk there and back total just to go pick up like a, a coffee or whatever. Yeah, the network handoff issues. Yeah, the network handoff issue, which would mean basically with Spotify, I wouldn't be able to hear music for the first two minutes and the last two minutes coming back, which was absolutely ridiculous. Apple Music is much better than that. I, I get next to no drop-offs, which is fantastic. The big problem, though, does not work on my desktop uh, at all. Doesn't sync with what's going on with my iOS, cannot add anything to my music, cannot do basically anything uh, on the desktop version. And uh, remember, I had my theory about the, it being related to uh, Apple's music match thing, which uh, had a 25,000 song cutoff. Yeah, yeah. Appears to be true. Oh, really? So I finally spent the time to go ahead and look at it, which is a whole nother issue, by the way. If you're using a service and, and you're paying for it and you have to spend three to four hours searching online and debugging, that's a problem. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyways, that I, I went ahead and did it. I had a couple extra hours this week uh, and I was getting really annoyed about this. So I started to look into it a little bit. I am far from alone. We have some links in the show notes if anybody else is still having this issue as well. Uh, basically, Apple has not come out and said anything, but people have basically zeroed in on the fact that if you have a library on your desktop that is over 25,000 songs, you are shit out of luck for Apple Music. You cannot. It, it, Apple Music is tied to the iCloud library, which is tied to their Apple Music match system. So end of story. Boom. You can't use it. That's insane. That and makes no sense whatsoever. It makes no sense whatsoever. The The prevailing theory right now is that Apple has said that they're going to up uh, up the limits to 100,000 songs. But I have more than 100,000 songs. So even when they do that, I will be unable to use uh, Apple Music. OK, now, why the fuck do you have more than 100,000 songs? That's all. That's uh, how are you going to ever listen to that? If you started now, you would not get to through the entire thing before you're dead. I I just don't know what to say about that, Jason. I love music, so I've collected, and most of it is paid for. Uh, there was a brief period of time in the in the Napster day and age where I may have sucked down entire uh, entire libraries of people that I had not listened to before, and still have in there. I'm sure if I spent the time to go in and clean out my collection, I could probably get it under a hundred thousand songs. But then again, maybe not. I have tons of bootlegs that I picked up as kids. You know, I I spent two years about eight years ago, ripping in every single CD I had and getting rid of them. So I have a lot of damn songs. Anyway, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> the, 
point being, it would appear, uh, unless Apple comes out and makes a statement otherwise, that if you do have a large library, you will not be able to use Apple Music, except, you know, on your devices that you don't keep a lot of songs on because you can't anymore because Apple has basically lowered the gigabytes on all your phones. So there you have it. OK. Uh, and this is on your PC, right? Not not your Mac. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I could do it on either because I, my, my music library is, is on a, a USB drive, so I could just plug it into either. And I tried it on the Mac as well, so it doesn't work. Okay, just, just I wanted to clarify. Yeah, it basically does this thing where it goes and connects to Genius to try to sync everything, and blah, 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 and then it just errors, errors out. You can read all about it on the three discussion threads that I, that I have in the show notes. So uh, basically, yeah, we're all just screwed. Okay. Well, there you have it. I have 24,980 songs in my, my library for the very reason that I use iTunes Match. Yeah. So there you go. Anyways, uh, speaking of screwed, if, if, you, if you do have Apple Music working for you and you're, you're a big fan of Neil Young, unfortunately, he's yanked all his music from streaming services in what I assume is a desperate attempt to get people to buy his stupid Pono. Oh, uh, yeah. And nobody cared. And nobody cares. But uh, I did find it interesting. His statement cracked me up, uh, and I'll tell you why in a second. I, I love Neil Young as a, as a singer-songwriter. I don't like him as, as a technologist, and he's just got to give up on this because uh, the battle's lost. So whatever. Uh, don't screw people out of listening to your music because you don't like it. Just, just put it up there and then offer higher quality for people who want that. That's fine. All right? Okay? We all right with that, Neil? Good? Okay. Anyways, his statement... I don't need my music to be devalued by the worst quality in the history of broadcasting or any other form of distribution, he wrote on his Facebook post. Are you serious? Well, hold on. I don't feel right allowing this to be sold to my fans. Now, that made me think for a second. Neil Young's been around for quite a while, right? Yeah. So I did a quick search on Amazon, and I found a... a an eight track. I was get, just getting ready to say, did you find an eight track? <laughs> which is considerably worse quality than streaming. So uh, you did allow that to be sold, Neil. So shut the fuck up. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so uh, one last music story, just because it's been a fun week and because I love this, this story. And I, I, I used to work for Sinead O'Connor and I love her to death. You know, say what you will about her. Uh, she uh, apparently hasn't picked up a copy of Rolling Stone in the last 20 years because it really hasn't been about music for a long time. But she did make a big Facebook post uh, when the July issue of Rolling Stone came out with cover star Kim Kardashian, who obviously has no right to be on any cover for anything. Uh, and her post is quite awesome. I will not, uh, uh, as use very bad words that uh, only Irish are allowed to use. What is this C word doing on the cover of Rolling Stone? Music has officially died, et cetera, et cetera. It was very funny. I love you, Sinead. You're awesome. Yeah, she kind of missed the boat a very long time ago. If, if, if this is the first Rolling Stone where she's like, oh, well, there's no music. I'm like, okay, where were you when the Boston Bomber cover was up, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, and there's been a lot of ridiculous covers on and, and that. Yeah, but the point still stands. She she is a little bit late to the game on it, but I like the point. So, <laughs> Okay, I've got a, I've got a funny little story. Uh, two friends of the show... Uh, who are, are dear friends of both of ours, uh, sent me, I'm gonna, not going to name names, sent me an email saying, hey, our WordPress site got hacked. Can you help, please? And I'm like, okay, okay. Go in, log in. First thing I notice, like 18 updates pending. Okay. <laughs> Problem number one. All the, they had the, all the default themes that come with WordPress, all at version 1.0, which, as we know, there was a you know, serious flaw in the themes. Yes. Uh, no security plugins, nothing. So, you know, the funny thing about this is I, I 
hadn't heard anything about this. And, and first off, I'm shocked that I didn't get the initial Salvo email. I, I'm, I'm actually happy about that. Glad that went to you. Uh, secondly, I know they listen to the show every week. And I, I know they've heard us talk about WordPress all the time. And these are pretty update people or hire someone to do it. Yeah. Or, or just get an auto update plugin. You can turn on a lot of auto updates for your plugins. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I'm just like, it was a forehead slap. I felt like Picard on the, on the deck <laughs> of the enterprise. So uh, I sent them the list. They're back in business. They, they scrubbed and cleaned their dirty little WordPress site, but it was very funny because yes, I know that they listen to the show every week. So that is very funny. Actually, I better go look and see if I, I don't even recall. I might be hosting that. So if that's the case, I better go look. No, you're not. Because the way that this happened was they got an email from their ISP saying, uh, hey, guys, uh, this is all the crap that's on your machine right now. Can you guys uh, kind of get rid of it and fix it? Awesome. That that wasn't you. I'm, I'm sure because I don't think you have the, the wherewithal or the care, or the patience or, yeah, just the caring whatsoever to do that kind of thing. It's mostly the patience. In the news. Happy birthday, Trinity. Ooh. Not Trinity from the Matrix, although, you know, I would, I would wish her a happy birthday, too. But no, the Trinity test of, that began the nuclear age turned 70 yesterday. Or as one of our most favorite presidents would say, nuclear. Nuclear. Yes. <laughs> so, well, I, I, yeah, I guess that's good. It feels like it was longer ago. I mean, granted, yes, neither one of us were born. But, you know, since we've grown up in the nuclear age, it just feels like it would be longer than 70 years. That there are people still, that people are alive right now that were... You know, kicking and screaming before there was the bomb. That's true. I mean, it feels like 70 years ago that we were doing the duck and cover because getting under a cardboard desk would actually save you from a nuclear explosion. Yeah, those were fun videos. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, speaking yeah. of fun videos, though, the, the link that you put in the show notes has that video that I think we've talked about before on the site, which is uh, a time lapse of every atomic test from 1945 to 1998, which is uh, kind of frightening. It's one of the greatest videos of all time. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, speaking of shit. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be fun for a second we're gonna, here. Yeah, we're going to go into this whole thing, of course. But uh, let's start off with a, a really great article. I actually really enjoy this by John Patrick Leary on Salon. Uh, it's called Innovators Are Killing Us. Instead of reinventing housing or transit, they bring us companies like Airbnb and Uber. And it's a great article discussing about how uh, basically <laughs> the, the innovatives, disruptive industries are actually really screwing us. And it's not what actual innovation really is. Um, and I really enjoyed the article, so I highly recommend that everybody read it. Yeah, I like the article. I mean, it was a little hard to get through in the beginning because he was quoting, you know, old scholars that was not very well uh, UXed, as it were. And they're, I don't know what it is with their site, their font size, their spacing. It, I found it really hard to read. Yeah, I'm not digging their new design that they did. Uh, I, I really hate the font. Yeah. yeah, I ended up, I got like a, a quarter of the way through and just dropped it into Instapaper and read it there because it was, I don't know, yeah, Salon's design is terrible. Yeah, their their recent re- revamp was a, was a big mistake in my opinion. But uh, anyways, it's worth getting through. It is it is kind of an encapsulation of what I've been feeling about these, these uh, Economy 2.0 companies for quite a while. Well, speaking of Uber and Lyft, <laughs> LAX has just become the largest U.S. airport to allow pickups. I, I saw that. Yes, this is a hat tip to Jenny, friend of the show. She sent this to me uh, on Slack the other day. But yeah, LAX says, come get us. 
Well, to, to be fair, they were allowing the higher level of Uber for quite some time because those people were actually uh, livery, whatever, registered. Yeah, Uber, yeah, Uber Black had the TCP numbers and everything. Exactly, which is, again, playing by the rules, which is all I've ever asked of Uber. And uh, the reason that they're actually allowing this now, it isn't just, okay, anybody can go. They are charging fees. They're charging entrance fees of, I think, 3 or $4 uh, to go in, which, again, that's, that's what the taxi companies have to pay. They pay a fee to be able to come in. So playing by the rules. I'm all right with that. Yep. And now you don't have to, you, you remember the workaround? Did you ever try this where you take the airport shuttle to the, like the closest hotel and then you just order your Uber from there? <laughs> uh, no, I'd heard about that. I mean, I have a, a company that I use that, that for the, for airport drop-offs and pickups all the time. And, uh, they're a licensed, uh, taxi cab company, but they're, they're a very good one. And, uh, I've always just used them. So I've got a business card. Well, I've had a business card. Obviously it's just in my cell phone for a direct number. As soon as I land, I call it, boom, they're out there waiting for me. Well, yeah, it's four dollars for a drop off, four dollars for a pickup. So, so they'll be making some cash. Well, they're also going to have to spend that really quickly because they've been fined seven point three million dollars for not reporting California accessibility data here in our wonderful state of California. So, yes, this would be Uber, by the way, not uh, not Uber and Lyft, just Uber, just Uber. So Uber has thirty days to pay the fine, or it will lose its operating license in California. So Uber may not be around in thirty days. So, yeah, well, they'll pay the 7.3. Actually, it's going to go to uh, appeals, and while it's in appeals, they're not going to actually yeah. turn them off. But it's interesting because a bunch of other services, uh, Sidecar and Lyft, they gave everybody a year to come up with this data, and the deadline was back in September last year. Mm -hmm. Everybody else did it except Uber. Yeah, because Uber is the big monkey in the room that says, screw you, we're going to win. Yeah. So on one hand, they're starting to play by the rules, but on the other hand, not so much. Yeah. And on that vein, because we've talked about Uber and the, the employee problem, the employee versus contractor problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the feds are going to start getting in on this thing now. Yeah, and, and they should. This is a big issue. This is a real problem. And I, I like the uh, the article that you found. And, and it's something I have been screaming about. It's it's we can't ever all these version 2.0 companies are screwing employ are screwing people that they employ they're not playing by the rules they're not paying the taxes they're not paying the fees they're not doing all the things that every other company has to do and that's why they make a ton of money yep yep this comes from ars technica and it's talking about a new policy uh guidance document that's coming out from the department of labor and there's a great bit in here i'm not going to read the whole thing because it's very long but it's just talking about how you know companies are purposefully misclassifying employees as independent contractors to literally get around paying taxes and paying the yeah. minimum wage and all the other stuff. So they're saying, you know, uh, everything that we've said, they're like, okay, now this is in a, an actual policy doc that's going to the people who need to take care of this stuff with the labor laws. So I, I expect this fight is just just getting started. It's just getting started, but it is going to be interesting to see how a lot of these companies react when when hopefully uh, this sort of stuff gets applied to them and then they realize that their profit margins aren't quite what they thought they were going to be. Yeah, like everybody else. <laughs> like the rest of us. <laughs> so I, I heard this story going around this week and somebody apparently told their phone to charge or phone charge 100% or something like that. I forget the exact ones. I don't want to say the exact thing because of somebody's listening to it and Siri jumps on and calls the police on them. Right. Um, but yeah, a guy had a, a specific string of words that he put together and it called the police. And uh, there's an interesting article on The Verge that kind of explains what happened with that. Because when you're talking to Siri, 
when you when the word phone comes into it, then it switches modes, and then anything after it, it treats as a number that it calls. Oh. So that's that was the uh, the interesting thing that happened with that. But I thought it was just a funny funny story that you could actually have a just a, a random string of words that calls the police when it's not supposed to. That is pretty funny. I mean, it's it's a weird programming issue, right? I mean, it's just uh, things like that happen. Yeah, you have five seconds to to disable the call before it goes out. But if you're not looking at it and right. you have like, hey, Siri turned on, then things get things can get dicey. You can swat yourself uh, pretty easily. Right, right. Well, uh, kind of similar issues. Uh, I ran across a story about uh, basically we've, we've been talking a lot about like the Internet of Things. IOT. And our home kit is now coming out, which is the Apple's operating system for controlling and communicating with the IT. Uh, basically not ready for prime time for a lot of this kind of similar issues. Uh, good good wrap up on this and definitely tells me to wait a long time, if ever, getting into this realm of things. Uh, Siri and Alexa were never cut out to be homemakers. Uh, it's about the interesting thing about this article on Recode is it's actually not so much the the consumer level. It's more the people that are trying to design all these things that they're not being given basically access to to the tools at a lowest low enough level to actually make anything that would be useful or worthwhile. So you can't control multiple things. There are blocks on things. You can't, if you're using a fragmented ecosystem, it, it re, things really don't talk to each other well, if at all, which is kind of standard. But, uh, you know, just not ready for prime time with all this stuff. Yeah, you know, all these companies are putting out their toolkits and their developer kits, but they're hamstringing the developers. They have to work within a very small subset of, of yeah. actual voice commands. And it's it's going to hamstring it for quite some time. And once they open it up to everything, it'll be interesting. But I think it's going to take a while because you look at, I mean, Apple is so slow with opening up or giving away any kind of control. You know, I expect Google to be the one that comes out with the toolkit that's like, okay, just say what you want. We don't care. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Uh, in sad news, uh, we have to we have to kind of nod our head to this. Uh, Satoru Iwata, the the CEO and president of uh, Nintendo, has passed away. Oh, that sucks. I mean, yeah. he was young. He was only 55. He's only 55. He's been running uh, Nintendo for the last 13 years. So, uh, you know, the Wii is all him, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, this is a uh, Nintendo and that's that's childhood stuff in a box right there. So sad to hear that. Yeah, definitely. That's a bummer. Even though I haven't had a Nintendo game in a very, very long time. It was still, you know, part of my youth. Yes, of course it was. Now, uh, there's a lot of flash news going around since the, you know, the... Uh, <laughs> The big breach last week and all of the O-Days that came out. Well, uh, kudos to Firefox. They've just basically turned it off. Yeah, it, <laughs> like, it's off and it's gone. And I'd like to take a moment to say, um, client who will not be named, who I fought with for three months about doing a Flash site recently, who was right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we would have built your damn site. Anybody using Firefox would never have been able to see it. Yeah, we have more uh, more flash stuff in the future in the in the security segment. But I think it's great that Mozilla is actually stepping up and saying, yeah, you know what? This is just not good for our users. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's a good thing. The problem is there are just so many sites that are out there that just never get updated because people don't spend money on things anymore. Uh, so you're there's a there's a hefty part of the Web that you're not going to be able to view. But good. Yeah, that's going away so fast, though. Yeah. No, it's time, it's time for it to go. We'll talk more about it in, the, in security. Okay. 
an interesting thing that's happening right now is uh, for Android devices, a bunch of old stuff, old brand names that we used to know and love uh, as grumpy old geeks are being basically revived, such as Commodore and Kodak. Yeah, they're coming back as Android phones. You know, it, all it is is a branding play. It's a branding play, but it's still a cute one. I mean, I, I missed that Commodore logo. It was cute to see it. I actually had a Commodore uh, iPhone case. You know, see, that's the thing. It's like, I don't need to get a phone that's branded in retro. I can just put a case on it. And then when I get tired of looking at Commodore, then I'll get a Kodak brand, you know, or whatever. No, I do think it, it, first it's cute just to see the brand names. But secondly, I, the interesting thing about the story is that's the only way that Android phone makers are able to basically do any distinctions anymore because it's the same damn thing on all of them. So you give it a cute name and a cute wrap up, and that's how you hope somebody will buy your exact same phone as opposed to someone else's exact same phone. Yeah, and speaking of new phones, uh, Marshall, the company that makes, you know, amps and all the other good stuff, they've announced a new phone, and uh, Ars Technica calls it very pretty, very slow, and very expensive. Yeah, I don't really understand why people are would try to get into the game at this point anymore. It's it's really been locked up by the few players that are out there doing it well that have such a head start. It is cool looking. If you're like a gearhead, like old school music guy, I mean, just even seeing like the gold uh, ribbed scrolly thing on the side, that's pretty. And the uh, double headphone jacks is nice too. Yeah, that's a nice plus, but I mean, easily remedied and any date. Yeah. It, a $3, $3 splitter from, from what used to be Radio Shack would fix that problem. Exactly. And it is crazy expensive. Yeah, for what you get in the gear. And, you know, Marshall didn't actually make this. They just loaned their name to it and their design aesthetic. And I think it's I think it's a really nice looking phone. It is a nice looking phone. But if you're going to buy if you want something that's Marshall branded, uh, I wouldn't go the phone route because it's slow and expensive. Uh, just go ahead and get yourself one of those Marshall stack fridges. Those are cool as hell. I have not seen that. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. I'd appreciate that. OK, so um, I, this is an interesting story that I I've, I. I can't remember how I came across this. I think somebody sent it to me, but the Match Group, as in Match.com, they just bought plenty of fish for $575 million in cash. So I I think the Match Group has basically bought everybody at this point, and it's all about consolidation now. Like, they're like giant robber barons. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, it makes sense if, if you're trying to lock up the industry and, and, you know, get all the people, get all the peoples, all the fishes. So when I was researching this, I found out that, oh, the match group is actually owned by somebody else that I'd never heard of. They're called IAC. And they own, they are the robber barons, not match. They own everybody. They own about.com, ask, uh, chemistry.com, daily burn, dictionary.com, home advisor, investopedia. And the list goes on daily beast. Vimeo, Tinder, OkCupid. Okay oh, wow. I mean, they own like a ton of brands. They're trying to own the net. <laughs> Pretty much. I don't know. What's the play there? Just to build the biggest possible mailing list known to man? Yeah. Eat your competitors, you know? Yeah. And it, there's always plenty of bigger fish that are going to eat you up. Yeah, that didn't work, did it? No. <laughs> I tried. I mean, I was, I was, you know, my brain was trying to go, what, what can I do with fish? Yeah, I gave up. Um, so in scientific news, uh, CERN's, uh, LHC has discovered a new class of particle. This is kind of cool. This is very cool. And and it's nice to know that the world didn't actually just end when this, when this occurred. Yeah. And they actually discovered this a couple of years ago, but they had to keep like rechecking their data and make sure that when they brought this out, that it was, you know, they, they have their, you know, <laughs> T's crossed and their eyes dotted because. I don't want a cold fusion moment again. <laughs> uh, so they've discovered the pentaquark. Cool. 
Yeah, I don't know what it does. I'd have to ask my brother. He's the physicist. It represents a way to aggregate quarks, Jason. Duh. <laughs> That's what it says right there in the article. Okay, well. <laughs> Whatever the hell that means. That's what I'm saying. To, to, to actually say something that would be meaningful that's just not regurgitating what's in the article, I would, ha- I would have to get my brother on to, to explain that one. Yeah, I haven't been keeping up with my uh, theoretical physics recently, so I- I'm not so sure. I'll wait for Brian Green to put out another book that talks about this. That you can't understand? Exactly. Well, I usually understand the first five chapters, and then it's diminishing returns after that. Security? Ha! We have an anti-hack of the week in security. Really? Yes, the criminal hacking bizarre dark code is, uh, has been taken down. All right. 70 members have been busted and hauled off to prison. I'm actually a little sad because that's a good name. Darkode? Darkode. It's much better than all the other ones. Like, take out the other ones with the dumb names first. The Silk Road? Well, the hacking team? Well, th- that's a company. I know. But this one, this was supposed to be an impenetrable uh, organization of elite hackers, and uh, <laughs> nothing is impenetrable, guys. You should know that. There's no such thing. Because you know what? These 70 members that just got busted, those are going to be the next guys that infiltrate the next round. And then the, those guys will get busted. And then by at the end of the day, it's like playing a game of risk. You know, once you get, you know, momentum going, mm-hmm. you'll have all the hackers on your team. Yes. So. So. <laughs> yeah. As Kevin Mitnick is, is uh, always pointing out, as soon as these guys get busted, the first thing they do is flip. Yeah, of course. They, they discover they actually make a pretty good salary. Yeah. And they don't want to go to jail. Yeah, there's a lot of pluses to being on the white side. It's just not as fun. Uh, Java is in problems, having problems again. When haven't they had problems? I mean, I, re- I remember back in the day, it was like uh, we were told basically uninstall it and don't ever reinstall it. Yeah, uh, there were a couple years in, in here, though, that they didn't have any O-Day exploits. They were still had other stuff, but there were no zero days. Well, it turns out they're back. Yeah. So you still have Java on anything? No, you know, I never went back and, and reinstalled it after the, the initial issues a couple of years back. I've just never, never kept it on any of my machines, and I've never noticed any problems. I mean, the, occasionally you go to some weird-ass site, and you can't run some crazy thing that they developed that probably didn't run that well anyways in the first place. But uh, then I just go, eh, okay, never mind. Close, close window. Yeah, I found a couple open-source apps that I was running on my machine that required me to install it. But as soon as I was done with it, I immediately uninstalled it. Yeah, I just I, I I don't keep Java on my on my system, so this is not an issue for me. But uh, you know, I guess Flash is now going to go the way of Java, right, Jason? I hope so. I really hope so. Uh, experts find a third hacking team Flash exploit. Call for an end to the madness. This is a TechCrunch article where people are finally coming out and saying, you know, like Steve Jobs said a long time ago, get rid of Flash. Yeah. Uh, so that's come out, and Facebook's new CSO said, "Death to Flash." And yep. then we had the Mozilla disables Flash and Firefox. So, you know, I, I think the time has come for Adobe it's, to just put a bullet in it. Yeah, Adobe needs to kill it. I wonder if they regret ever picking it up, although it did have a heyday for a long time. Yeah, I'm, they made a lot of money off of it. it. It caused a lot of headaches, but I think they made more money than the than the, the headaches. So yeah. they did pretty good on it. I just feel bad for anybody that's just so specialized in Flash that that's all they've done for the last 10 years. They're well, in trouble now. Well, the interesting thing is a lot of Flash programmers I know have switched over to JavaScript programming because it's ECMAScript is basically, you know, what ActionScript was, and that's what JavaScript is. So the syntax is the same. 
Okay. You well, know, that's... it's just the hooks that go into the browser. So in Flash, you just needed to learn the timeline and asset management. And in JavaScript, you basically need to know the DOM. Or if you're doing backend stuff, Node.js, you know, you can do backend JavaScript programming. Yeah, that's true. So the, yeah, there was a lot of opportunities if you were a good, fl- I mean, if you were just sitting there in the timeline and dragging sprites and doing tweens and stuff, you're probably, you're probably out of luck. But yeah. if you actually wrote ActionScript, you can transition pretty well into a good uh, JavaScript job. All right. Well, get get to it, people. Take some courses. Yeah, except I hate JavaScript too. So, well, yeah. I mean, you and I don't want to do any coding anymore. None. <laughs> um, so we we've been talking about Windows 10 because you've been playing with it and trying it out, and the yeah. news has come out that Windows 10 will do force updates on Windows Home Edition. So you have no choice but to update when they say so. You know how I feel about that. I don't like automatic updates. I disable them on my iOS. Um, And I think this is a scary proposition, particularly for Windows, because Windows has a long track history of releasing shit updates that actually foobar your system for a while. And then you have to backtrack and then get the correct update later. Yeah, business owners don't have to worry about this if you're running the business edition. But homeowners, uh, well, home users, not homeowners, uh, the, the, the two are kind of not linked. But... You have two choices. Yeah. Download, install, and reboot immediately, or download, install, and reboot later. That's it. This is, yeah. There's so many problems with this. (laughs) I mean, I understand that that you almost have to do this now because people just don't do updates, and and that becomes a real security issue for for everybody at large because we're all connected now. Uh, It's a problem, so we want this to happen. I hate the idea of it being forced. Uh, I hate the idea of not really being able to choose timing. This means I will be uh, going to Windows 10 Pro. I'm not going to do the home version just because of that exact issue. I just don't want automatic updates. Um, I still don't know what it's actually going to cost. I I can't figure out if I'm going to be getting Windows 10 for free. Obviously, I'll have to pay if I want to go up to Pro because I would. if I'm getting anything for free, I'm assuming it'll just be the home. But I still... It's very unclear. There are articles out there that say Windows 10 pricing. Here's how much it will cost if you can't upgrade for free, but they don't tell you what the parameters are for free upgrades. This is all a mess right now. And if anybody knows, please write us and tell us because I still cannot. I can't whack through these weeds to figure out what it's going to cost and who has to buy it and who doesn't. Well, you're going to find out real soon because what's it? You got like eight days before it comes out? Uh, well, what's the date it's supposed to? It's the tw- so, I don't know. Oh, July 29th. Sorry. So you got 12 days before it comes okay. out. 12 days, then my, my PC will be updating in theory. So I'll see what happens. Uh, if they force an update to Windows 10 and make and charge you for it, that's obviously going to be wrong and cause a lot of problems. So we'll see. Yeah, definitely. So uh, in 11 days, back up. Yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so now this is an interesting story uh, because it, it's around the NSA. Mm-hmm. Our good friends at the National Security Agency, they have released a uh, an open source, basically network maintenance tool called SIMP. That is a horrible name. It is so horrible. Yes. The System Integrity Management Platform. It's okay. out for Red Hat and CentOS, which is good. I use Cent. But uh, the the question is, do you really trust anything that the <laughs> NSA gives you to run on your network? Well, the real interesting thing is it's open source, right? Yeah, so people so, can go through and look at it and I'm find assume, it out. I'm assuming uh, bigger brains and people who have much less or much more time on their hands than than you and I do are going through this code at the moment to see if there's anything going on in there. Yeah, I, I will be definitely interested to see how it goes. Um, 
So uh, the other interesting thing is the NSA actually has a GitHub account. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the GitHub account basically says, oh, uh, well, the tools that we're releasing are over on this other GitHub account. So if you go to github.com slash simp, S-I-M-P, you yes. can find the, the tools and uh, download them. And if you have, you know, a couple extra months, feel free to go through the source and tell, if it's, tell us if it's any good. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly what it does. Is it any good? And, uh, you know, they, they got to be smarter than this. They, there can't be anything in there that's that's wonky because they've got to know people are going through it. Well, especially on their first release, you know that people are going over that with a fine tooth comb just to find out. So they yeah. probably like spent a lot of time making sure that this was solid. Yeah. And then they'll just release updates that have the back doors. Yeah, they'll sneak stuff in later. Comment of the week. We have a new five-star iTunes rating from Kurt145. Uh, Kurt145 writes, My favorite podcast by far. Informative, funny, you name it. Short and sweet. Short and sweet. We like it. We like it. Thank you very much. Uh, and we got a comment through our website. Uh, this is from Brian Bettle. And uh, he says, gentlemen, I've been working in town the last month, which in Atlanta means a 90-minute commute. So in order to remain sane during this time, I took the logical choice to go back and listen to your original podcasts. Oh, no. Uh, that was, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, what are you going to do? Um, I started listening to your podcast around episode 60, so the originals are not quite as polished, slightly worse audio quality. Can hear you getting drunk as the podcast progressed, but just as entertaining. Were we still drinking by 60? Every think. now and again. Every now and then. Uh, oh, well. Yeah, don't go back any further. Uh, I wanted to follow up on the Tim Ferriss diet and was wondering if Jason was having any success at it. In episode one, Brian seemed to think it was all hype, but was wondering if it really worked, at least for Jason. Enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. Brian in Decatur, Georgia. Um, and he's got a little PS. On a side note, I think Jason once mentioned he went to the College of DuPage. DuPage? How do you pronounce that, Jason? College of DuPage. COD is what we say. I tried to make it class here. I had fond memories of COD and going to computer shows there with my father buying parts and building rigs back in the day. I grew up in the Chicago Burbs, and it was a great father-son bonding going to these shows in high school and college. So thanks for bringing up great memories for me and my now-deceased father. This was pre-internet and pre-Newegg. I remember Newegg. Newegg just actually won a patent lawsuit against the trolls. Did they really? Yeah. Wow. Smack them down. Okay, on the follow-up with the Tim Ferriss diet, I have been using it selectively. I, I think you're talking about the ketogenic diet. I, probably not the slow-carb diet, because we just talked about the ketogenic diet on the Grump on Grump with Tim. Uh, we, uh, way back in the day, we talked about the slow-carb the slow uh, carb diet as well, because he said episode one. So that was uh, when we were still talking about like the four hour body and all that sort of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, basically my main diet is very slow carby, but, and it, it works. I I'm actually losing weight pretty consistently right now because I, well, I went to San Diego this last week for Comic-Con for uh, Bob Fogarty's birthday, which entailed a lot of beer, <laughs> a lot of beer. And uh, it's taken me a week to get back to where I was before I went there. But He's a bud, so you got to take one for the team, and we did have a really good time. But uh, since I've gotten back, I actually flipped over when I got back to the keto diet for a couple days just to get some quick, rapid turnaround to get back to baseline. And now I'm back on, uh, it's, it's kind of a mix of slow-carby and just really good vegetable content. Vegetables and seafood are pretty much all I eat now. See, I, I call it bullshit. Why? Because if it actually worked, you wouldn't be doing a mixture. You'd just be doing the one thing. No, keto diet is just a pain in the ass. It's really hard to do. 
I still think it's all bullshit. I think you do just as fine just by limiting uh, by limiting your your input and increasing your output. I'm sorry. Uh, I think everything else that he talks about and all the tricks and hacks they're they're entertaining, and they may provide point zero 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 one percent of a nudge in some certain direction. But there's the stuff is all it's all hype. Well, most of the slow carb I think is is hype. I mean that's just eating right, honestly, in yeah, my book. I, but that's what it all comes down to. And like yeah. I said, I. I the basic diet is is eat right don't take in a ton of calories and uh then there's a whole bunch of flashy stuff he puts around it that that is funny and interesting and kind of entertaining and cool but actually doesn't do much of it does basically fuck all (laughs) so but on the on the side of the keto diet that is that is a completely different type of thing that was around before tim and it does work but it's just really really hard to to stick with especially if you're traveling or doing anything where somebody wants to actually have fun and go to dinner with you. That's why it's like in, in small doses, like three or four days, it can give you a nice, a nice ketogenic bump. But if you just need to like drop a couple pounds real quick and then maintain that, I don't, I, there's no problem with that in my book. Yeah, you know what else would work? Just drinking water, eating celery and sitting in a hot tub. Yeah. But at least the keto diet, you have food. <laughs> sort of. Not really. That's why it's so damn difficult to keep up with. Yeah. Bacon, man, you can have bacon on it. <laughs> that's disgusting so on the cod note yes i did go to college of dupage i went there for photography i took the entire photo curriculum twice 4.0 both times and then i they made me go take english and other classes and i'm like screw this i'm out <laughs> but i had i have actually gone to some of those computer shows back in the day so maybe we were there at the same time very cool and i just miss new egg i don't know why you miss them they still exist well not actual physical stores no but on the internet well it's not the same thing i mean i remember going like my parents taking me to the store to buy games and stuff like that. That was all cool. Oh, I've never been in a place that were that there were new egg stores. So oh wait, I've only known them from the internet. It was Egghead Software. <laughs> so so here's the deal: uh, New Egg actually has no relation whatsoever to Egghead Software chain. All right. Well, I'm Egghead. Yeah, I totally remember them. They were, they were great. Awesome. All right, trip down memory lane done. Well, thanks so much for writing us, Brian. And uh, if you'd like to write the show, there are many ways you can do so. Please visit uh, grumpyoldgeeks.com and you can send us some feedback that way. Or you can tweet us at GOG Podcast or go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash GOG. We would really appreciate it. And uh, we're we're happy to answer any questions and and go down uh, memory lane with anyone else, too. At the library. Recently, we've talked about the latest Peter Klein's books, and I wanted to go back and find out what his past catalog was like. And I got the X Heroes uh, series, mm-hmm. and it starts with the book X Heroes, and it is nothing like I thought it was going to be. It is kind of a mashup of a zombie story with a superhero story with a post-apocalyptic story, and it all takes place on the Paramount lot. Okay, which for me was fantastic because everything that they were talking about. I knew I had reference for because I spent two years on the Paramount lot. I knew all the buildings. I had a perfect mental model of it. And I love this book. I absolutely love this book. And now I've got a couple to go back to and uh, to go back into the series. All right. Uh, I I still haven't had a chance to read any of his work yet. So uh, you'll have to let me know which one I should start with. You said you read 14. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Way back in the day. Okay. Yeah. That was good. It was really good. Yeah. He's a great writer. And I'm glad I found a new new author to glom onto. Yeah. So you finished Armada, I assume. Yes, going with the Klein. We had Peter Klein's, and now we have Ernest Klein. Yes. Uh, I am 25% of the way through. Oh, no. Okay. Again. uh, I'm having a problem. Oh, you're going to have more problems than one. (laughs) Trust me on that. 
I'm not really digging it so far. Actually, I liked the first uh, half of the book, and then the second half, oh, well. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, let's let's not do a spoiler then, because I, w- I will finish this by, by next week. But I am going to tell you what my problems are, and then you can tell me if this is going to get better or worse for me. Uh, and let me preface this by saying his first book, Ready Player One, I fucking love that book. It's one of my favorite books of all time. So this is really disappointing. I'm not digging the writing. I think it's really amateur compared to the last one. He's killing me, killing me with the references. It's, he's trying way too hard. He's shoving every cutesy possible reference into this book possible to the point where even the dog is named Muffet, the dog from Battlestar Galactica in the 1970s. I, I'm losing it. I'm not enjoying it, Jason. So I, I do appreciate the fact that the, his call sign is Iron Beagle. But uh... again, but if that, doing it that one time and a few other times, great. Doing it with every single thing in the book is killing me. Yeah, it, that part doesn't get any better. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. All it right. actually gets gets worse. It is, you know, every reference that he could possibly yeah. find to throw in thing. And, and for no reason like the dog could have just been rudy there's no reason to make it a battlestar galactica reference and i mean everything in this book in the first 25 percent of the book that i've read that he could possibly give a reference or some cutesy sci-fi thing that goes back however many years he has done and it's just driving me insane there's a lot of nerd overload in this one. It's too much. It's it's too much. It's 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 distracting from any story that there may be. It's it's just it's just nostalgia and and it's nerd overload and it's how cute can I be and how many references can I do? You're not Dennis Miller of sci-fi here, man. Just relax. Chill well, out. And no, uh, it, it, it's not going to get better, is it? It's not going to get better. And uh when you get to the end of the book, mm-hmm. when we talk about it, Yes. We will have a, several things to discuss about this. Um, it's it's very it made me very sad. Uh, I I really got into it for a while, and then I just stopped, and I'm like, wait a minute here. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's nothing original in this book. Period. Well, at all. I, I'm getting that impression as well because uh, you tell me if I'm well. Actually, don't tell me. No. But to me, what I see is he's basically going to write the plot of one of these damn games. This whole book is just going to be. Uh, uh, an arcade game storyline. No, no. It references science fiction. Everything is a science fiction reference from well, other stuff. Guessing. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, I'm not enjoying it so far, which is very sad. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it more next week. I just wanted to mention there's a link in the show notes with an interview with him, which actually was really interesting. And it made me even sadder because all they do is talk about really great books like Seven Eves and uh, Neuromancer and Snow Crash. And this is not one of them. Yeah, so far, well, my 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 rating on it is about a three out of five. So, okay, well, that was being generous. So we'll see how you uh, come back next week. I I, I have a feeling I have a yours feeling. is going to be around a one. Yeah, it, it's feeling like a one right now. We'll see. Yeah, too bad. Software, apps, and gadgets. Speaking of massive disappointments. Uh, this particular segment and this this little topic is for a friend of the show, Fergal, who was the champion of the coin card when it was first revealed back in 2013 as a Kickstarter project. Uh, he bought in early and then he waited uh, about 19 months to actually get it and then put up with me making fun of him every single time I saw him asking him if that uh, has that coin card shown up yet. 
Where's that coin card that you paid for? You paid 50 bucks like a year ago now, didn't you? Where's that coin card? Oh, it's coming. Okay. All right. So he was the big uh, supporter for it. And uh, he finally got it. And it looks kind of slick-ish, sort of. It, you know, whatever. Uh, but then he actually tried to actually use it. Strike number two. Therein lies the rub. Therein lies the rub. So the, the, the concept, if you're not aware of it, is the it's a digital card in which you can basically input all of your credit cards and carry the one card around and you can flip through it and figure out, you know, I want to use this card for this purchase and there you go. Now, this, this concept had come out before there was, you know, Apple Pay, which is genius and works quite well. Um, and the card does not, uh, in, in front of the show, Fergal's experience, it does not work in any ATMs whatsoever. Uh, in the link in the show notes, uh, the article about it, I waited 19 months for the Magic Coin card, and it was a big disappointment. Uh, the author basically is striking out uh, over half time with, with any place actually being able to use the card. It does not work well. And uh, there you go. So, Excellent. yeah, I, went, I was at the lunch the other day with some friends, and... Uh, they were had they had an inside joke. He's like, uh, my friend AJ was like, "Hey, David, did you did you bring your uh, coin card? Because we're going to try it this time, right? Right?" And apparently, they had gone out to a very nice dinner, and uh, this guy had only brought his coin with him, his coin card. I, I, and he was paying. Yeah, I shoot that challenge to Fergal. I said, "I want you to go one week just with this card." And he said, "I can't do it." <laughs> yep. So it was a big embarrassment. It did not work. So. He still has his coin card with him, but next to it are all of his credit cards because he, it was so embarrassing when he was taking everybody out to dinner and realized that all he brought was his coin card and it didn't work. Yeah, thus completely making it ultimately useless. Now, what I would really like is there to be some sort of form of legal ID that I could do through my smartphone because Apple Pay works flawlessly so far. And if I could just take my phone, and not, then I wouldn't even need a wallet if I could use my phone as an actual source of legal ID. That would be pretty bitchin'. Yeah, until it's stolen, and then somebody else becomes you. Yeah, well, there's always going to be an issue. Anyways, uh, the the article is really good. The, the author actually reached out to to the guys that uh, are running it. It's a 50 person startup. Holy uh, shit! He sounds the the owner uh, slash start uh, CEO Pashar. I can't find his whole name right now. There, Kanish Pashar. Parashar, sorry, I'm destroying your name, uh, pretty much sounds pretty damn dejected throughout this whole interview, and I particularly enjoyed the, the final line. We're a startup man doing something new. Some people say we can't do it. That's fine. It's up to us to keep going and make something useful. Actually, a lot of people are saying you can't do it because you can't do it because it's not working. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Thus endeth the story of the coin. Thus endeth the coin, and uh, again... Uh, I, I've yet to hear anything absolutely amazing that's really, really done well coming out of the Kickstarter world. Media Candy. Comic-Con has just wrapped up, and we got a lot of new trailers out of it. And I just want to point out the only one that matters to me. This would be the Ash versus the Evil Dead trailer for the new series that's coming out on Stars. Oh, my God. See, I, I'm sure this is going to be amazing for, for people that are into it. I just never really got into it. I, I love Bruce Campbell, but I, I just never got into it. You were never an Evil Dead fan. Army nope. of Darkness, none of that? No. Nope. Oh, well. I'm a Shaun of the Dead fan. I, I am as well, but... I know, I know. They're not, they're not incompatible with each other. It's just it's one of those things that just passed me by, much like you know a lot of the gaming stuff that is making Ernest Klein's new book miserable for me. 
Yeah, yeah, you don't have any context for it. But uh, this was uh, this made my day. I mean, I had goosebumps for like hours, and I, we watched it twice. I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait. Yeah, I, it was all over my Facebook feed, so a lot of people are super excited about that. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to quickly mention, uh, the Star Wars not trailer, but behind-the-scenes footage that came out of Comic-Con, that got me going. Uh, seeing Princess Leia uh, and looking surprisingly much better than I thought she would, that was some good stuff. See, I'm 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 completely avoiding that stuff. I do not want to see it at oh, all. It was great, and there's no giveaways in there. It's just it was great to see Leia. It was awesome. Cool, cool. And speaking of Bruce Campbell, though, um, he's going to be playing Reagan in the season two of Fargo, and they released a, a campaign poster with him on it. It's pretty interesting. I don't know. I think he'll be a funny Reagan. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I watched the first like three or four episodes of Fargo and then I kind of it fell by the wayside with me. So. Oh, man, you got to go back and watch that. Yeah, I hear it's really, really good. Oh, man, that was one of the best things that came on TV. <laughs> uh, was it last year or the year before? Well, it's season two. So just last year, I'd assume. Well, you never know how long these things get. How long take off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, whenever it was on, it was amazing. You have to go back and watch that. It was so good. All right. And speaking of TV, uh, I originally talked about The Brink on HBO, and it, I like the first episode didn't really do it for me, mm-hmm. and I gave it my my three episode run. And uh, when I got to the end of episode three, I could not wait for episode four. All right, so it it definitely picks up, and once the story gets rolling, because the first episode is not what you think it's going to be, and then once it, the story finally gets cooking, it really picks up and is really good. I'm really enjoying it, so. We'll see how it goes if it gets picked up for another season or not. But I, I'm really enjoying it so far. So it's, it's, you know, it's a good, fun popcorn watch. All right. Okay. Well, something else that came out of Comic-Con, uh, and I'm a little annoyed at this because this is so nothing. It's not a trailer or anything. There's one tiny little piece of concept art that has uh, come out for Alien 5, which shows uh, a drawing of Ripley and Hicks ready for battle. And the Internet thus exploded, even though this is next to nothing. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to pull this off. I don't Sigourney either. Weaver is not really battle-ready anymore. No. I mean, she. Yeah, yeah, I think she'll pull it. She's such a good actress. It, it won't matter. She'll be great in it. But the, I'm concerned about the story. I'm concerned about the director, um, Bloom, Bloomkop or whatever, who uh, did... Uh, he did District 9 and Chappie. District 9, which was great, and he did Chappie, which is a stinking pile of shit. So that's, you, y'all, you saw Chappie? I, I saw 20 minutes of it and stopped. Okay, because I know a lot of people that really like that. I haven't haven't gotten to see it yet, but... Uh... Uh, that, that was one I just even turned off. It was so bad. Oh, wow. But we'll see. I mean, I would love a reboot of Alien because uh, basically Alien and Aliens were the only good ones. They were all shit since then. They've really destroyed it. There was some hope that the Prometheus might be something to do with it. Oh, uh, well... Yes, they're all just ignoring now, and it was kind of boring anyways, too. Well, Prometheus uh, was terrible, dude. Uh, the art direction was great. The art direction was great, but so was Alien 3. And that was David Fincher, you know? And he, uh, he screwed the pooch on that one. Uh, Alien 3 was horrible. And, and Prometheus had promise. It's just they you know, they did a bunch of little... They did they did what I hate with sci-fi movies, which is grand concept. We Look at all this. Oh, it doesn't actually mean anything. There's no grand concept. Well, my whole thing was, it's like, okay, we get to a planet, and within 30 seconds, we find the one thing we're looking for. And I'm like, it's an entire planet. And you just happen to come across... The one thing you're looking for in 30 seconds. I'm like, oh, God. They can't make the movie go five months long, Jason. But they can have a scanning montage. <laughs> Come on. The musical sequence? Exactly. You know, like at the end of uh, Sons of Anarchy, when the music comes on, and they're scanning, and they're driving, and they're flying through the canyons. It could be something. 
Yeah. So uh, I, I'm on the fence with Alien 5, but one thing I'm not on the fence on, and if this actually happens, I am going to, I, I'm just going to call it a day, and that's it. I'm going to stop the podcast. I'm done with popular <laughs> culture. I am fucking checking out. This also came out of Comic-Con. David Fincher and UI expert for Apple, Trent Reznor, uh, <laughs> are talking about doing a Fight Club musical. A rock is opera. Anything, is there anything less fucking Fight Club than a fucking musical? <laughs> are you fucking kidding? Oh my god. God, if this actually fucking happens. I, I, I don't even know what I'm going to... My head's just going to explode. <laughs> and you thought it couldn't get any worse than the Green Day musical. No, this is Green Day. They're fucking, you know, they're 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 cartoon pop. So that's fine. But Fight Club, yeah. By doesn't... the way, if I don't even know what to, I don't. If Palinuk has anything to do with this, I'm never reading any of his books anymore either. How can you be into this? How can you say this should be a thing? Well, he actually is into it. So uh, you might have to put down his books now. I'm out. That, that's it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian. I'm sorry. But hey, here, here's an upside. Back to the Future is coming back to theaters for its 30th anniversary in October. Uh, well, they better have the air date on the date that Marty McFly was supposedly showed up here. Because if they don't do that, they're stupid. That is the date. There. That's, that's the release date. Somebody's done something right. Yep. Released on Blu-ray and going to theaters at the same time. So I'll be getting that Blu-ray set for sure. You know, it's a cute movie. I it's my wife's favorite movie, so uh, which is pretty weird. I mean, she just loves these movies, so I, I, I assume I'll be going to a theater on that on October twenty first. Then, yeah, I saw it in the theater when it came out uh, four or five times. It was my favorite movie for like two years. All right, who knew you and my wife would have something in common? I was also a big Huey Lewis fan, so that's not saying much. Yeah, actually, that is saying quite a bit. None of it good, Jason. None of it good. Are you kidding me? Actually, I probably should have put the Fight Club Ballet or whatever the fuck they're doing to ruin my life in this section, but I didn't. So moving on, I found three things this week that I thought were pretty awesome. The first is science. Uh, thanks to the Magnus effect, something I'd never heard of, this basketball does something pretty weird when dropped. Uh, you know, link baity headline notwithstanding. Check the link in the show notes. I can't really talk about it because it's a video that shows something pretty fun. And then there's a video underneath that that explains the Magnus effect, which is quite interesting. Science for the win. Yeah, Veritasium has some really good uh, videos, I, I must say. They're one of the YouTube stars. Yeah, so that was good stuff. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, here's one that pisses me off. Lena Dunham says her new oversharing internet friend newsletter is not the anti-goop. So, yes, she is going to start a, a basically... Uh, some sort of newsletter in which she muses and speaks to millennial chicks, I guess. And she's calling it Lenny. Any reason why it's called Lenny? No idea. Well, it's a Lena and Lenny. Oh. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't get it. So whatever. Uh, so yeah, that, that now exists. So the world's a much better place. Hey, but at least it's on uh, email. Eh, that's true. Email's all right. We'll see what happens. Anyways, and the final thing that I saw that just made me crack up hysterically is for some reason in Portland, I love you Portlandians, you, you guys are crazy. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the, or the urban thing here in Los Angeles, and I assume other cities as well, Jason, where, where for random reasons there are just shoes thrown over power lines. Yeah, that used to be uh, the, the urban legend was that's where you could go buy drugs. 
Yeah, that was the urban legend. I don't know if that was ever true, but certainly it's it's happened all over the place. Well, Portlandians have stepped it up a notch. There are dildos dangling from power lines. Hundreds. I want to know where people are getting the hundreds of dildos, because I don't think those things are cheap. No, well, I mean, neither are shoes, really. Oh, come on. Some old Converse, toss them over. You're looking at like a buck or two. Could be old dildos. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, they, they, had, they took up a dildo collection for the, this stunt. A dildo drive. Anyways, uh, there's some great photos. So check out the, the link in the show notes. It's, it's rather amusing. It is rather amusing. And that's all I got. I uh, get a shout out to uh, Disneyland, which turned 60 today, 60 years ago today. The, the park opened or, uh, to the general public for the very first time. Disneyland has a place very near and dear to my heart. I grew up basically two blocks away from there. I, uh, I hung out there on weekends, dressed up all Robert Smithy. And I'm in lots of uh, tourist photo albums from all over the world from when I was a when I was a kid. It was also my first job. I worked there at uh, 15. Uh, for my first summer job. So Disneyland, 60 years old. Congratulations. Uh, huge fan. Always have a good time when I go there. I haven't been for a while. Would have loved to have made it down today for the 60th anniversary, but uh, such is life. There'd be a lot of people down there today. So I'm thinking it's probably good that you didn't. Probably. I'm sure it's very packed. So I want to give a shout out to Chris Enns and Goodstuff.fm, the podcasting network up there in Saskatoon, Canada. I was on uh, a recent episode of Show Me Your Mic, number 93, and we talked about nerdy, podcasty, geeky things and gear and stuff. I listened to it. Good job. Oh, you liked it? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. I didn't know if I did any good or not. <laughs> you did fine, Jason. Oh, thank you. I needed that. Uh, so, and uh, just an update, uh, our good friend of the show, MXV, is back home and recovering from his surgery for the next month. So he is going to be a truly grumpy old geek. Oh, good times. Maybe we should have him on the show. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, also, a shout out to a friend of the show, Sean Bonner, and a previous guest who gave us a shout out in his newsletter. Uh, you can check that out at uh, tinyletter.com slash Sean Bonner to sign up for it. Uh, it's kind of a fun little thing that he sends out randomly with his thoughts about the world. So it's always interesting. And uh, he did start a Kickstarter, which I think got fully funded. It's already over, but I, it's funny. So go check that out. Uh, link in the show notes. The new Oklahoma, a plan to improve the worst part of America. Yeah, I, I uh, threw him some bones for that one. Very cool. So I expect Oklahoma to be improved now because you got funded. Or you could be like Coin and wait 19 months. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's about it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason DeFilippo, and you can find out more about me at jpd.me. And I'm Brian Schellmeister, and you can follow me on Twitter at SlenderFungus. Until next time. Grumpy Old Geeks is a fan-supported show. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash GOG. We really appreciate your support. If you don't want to or can't donate but still want to support the show, please go to grumpyoldgeeks.com slash iTunes and leave us a few words and five stars or tell a friend about the show. Music for the show is provided by Andy Stachansky. You can follow Andy at twitter.com slash houseofandy, and he's also on SoundCloud, which you can get to by going to grumpyoldgeeks.com slash Andy. Show notes for all the links discussed in this episode can be found at grumpyoldgeeks.com slash 119. Bitch tits, Bob, where is my soap? <laughs>